everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder for Metsmerized. Back with us is Jake Bresnik. Uh, of course, we're here to talk about the uh, what I think is an excellent draft by the Mets, but what do I know? I'm very uninformed on the uh, incoming draft class, and that's why Jacob's here. Jacob's going to fill us in on uh, what to expect from some of these guys, the upside, and maybe what the buzz is all about regarding, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, from what I'm seeing, the Mets are getting A's, but uh, well, let's see what Jacob has to say. What's happening, buddy? Hey, good to, good to be back, and, and it's good to have some uh, non-legal talk to <laughs> to to discuss on the show. Um, it was It was nice to have a a two day break and, and get back to the actual, you know, baseball operations discussions. Um, but, um, yeah, so looking forward to talking about it. And, and yeah, I have to agree with you. It was a, a pretty successful haul for the Mets kind of what seems to be par for the course for, for Brody Van Wagen and, and co. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Excellent. Yeah. I guess for, you know, from what I saw, um, Again, I don't know enough about the incoming class to really give a truly informed opinion. But, you know, from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, um, like you said, Brody, um, uh, Tommy, who's the uh, I didn't I had it written down. Yes, Tommy <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Tannis. Yeah. And, um, and Mark, Mark Tremuda is the other guy, too. Yeah. The rest of the scouting and, and you know evaluation department really knocked it out of the park. Um, the Mets first round pick, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh you know, rave reviews regarding him. Uh, what's the story there? He kind of fell into the Mets lap. Yeah. It seems like the Mets were, were really high on him. And so were, um, you know, quite, quite a few, uh, expert anal- anal- analysts, um, were, were very high on him. He's, um, young, lots of tools, very athletic. Uh, I think the, the thing that everyone, uh, is enjoying pointing out is that his his, uh, his parents are both uh, actors, and then his mother was uh, the actress who played uh, Billy Haywood's mom in in Little Big League, one of my favorite movies. Um, oh, totally, so, totally underrated baseball movie, by the way. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Um, it really is. I saw that in the movies here. That's how freaking old I am. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So, so the Mets will, will have uh, their minor league uh, celebration get together. They'll have. Uh, Jenny Haywood and uh, Biff Tannen because, uh, you know, Tommy Wilson, who they drafted uh, either last year or two years ago, two years ago, they, uh, his father is, is the guy who played Biff in Back to the Future. So lots of actors and actresses entering the, uh, the, the Mets uh, farm system family. But uh, anyway, you know, Crow Armstrong is an exciting player. Um, you know, I, I think he's kind of a, a high floor kind of guy, low, low ceiling. I mean, he's not kind of projecting to be uh, like an all-star caliber caliber player, just from his, his skill set, he seemed you know like a very um, very good glove. Talking about him as the best defensive center fielder in the class, I can't argue with that. Um, really good speed. Um, seems like the bat. He's just kind of like a line drive hitter right now. Um, not sure how much power he's going to grow into because he really hasn't shown it in the past. Um, but the the common refrain from everyone. Yeah, uh, you know, really applies to every player in this draft. Was you know, if they had a season uh, in 2020, they could have showed something extra. So he's the type of guy where if he had shown power in a high school season this year, uh, he could have been pushing for the top 10 easily. Um, but you know, the, the the guy who was taken right after the Mets at, at 20 by the, the Brewers, Garrett Mitchell, is a college outfielder. Thought he had a little more of a well-rounded skill set. Um, I was really 
enamored with Nick Bitsko, who, who the Rays took, um, at I believe either 25 or 26, he's, you know, 17 and he, he's topping out at 99, hundred. Um, but you know, I, I can't complain with, with the Crow Armstrong pick, um, because obviously the system was really lacking center, uh, outfielders in general. Um, and, and he, he, he becomes their top outfield prospect easily. Um, and we'll just kind of slot in with, with, uh, you know, Brett Beatty and, and Mark Vientos and, and the young, uh, Ronnie Maurice, you know, the young, young athletic guys that they have in the organization. So, um, I'm kind of, uh, more interested than, than excited to, to watch him go to work. Um, but, but certainly interested for sure. You know, what really caught my mind, um, Molly Knight from the athletic, uh, had a really, really cool write up on Crow Armstrong. I guess he came out right after, right when he got drafted, but, uh, yeah, excellent read. And uh, it turns out he's like a, I guess he, he practices Zen Buddhism, which yeah. I think <laughs> I think is going to apply so well for, a, you know, for a hitter and especially a minor leaguer who's going to face adversity no matter what. And, you know, I guess the the very basic gist of all that is kind of living in the moment and uh, turning a new leaf, kind of just build off of your mistakes. And I think that would kind of suit a minor leaguer well. I mean, you know, you're going to have mountains to climb and you know, that type of uh, level headedness, I think it'll suit him. Well, I hope that, um, I hope that plays into it. I'm definitely enamored by it again. Uh, didn't do a whole ton of research going into the draft, but whatever I'm seeing, uh, you know, just, I guess, like you said, maybe the ceiling isn't going to be uh, through the roof, but from what I'm seeing, he's going to be a major leaguer uh, as long you know, as it, uh, he keeps on his trajectory. It's kind of similar. The, the profile a little bit um, to Brandon Nemo in, in a way, that's kind of what I was thinking. That's funny. Um, it, it's it's not perfect because the most huge thing was was you know his his eye and his, his plates at splint and we've seen that. Um, but just kind of the 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 frame and the mold that that they're coming into Pro Bowl with um, as a as a speedy center fielder. Um, obviously, Nemo moved off center field a bit. Um, he's probably more, more uh, suited to play left field right now. Um, even though he probably will play center field full time for the Mets when they come back. Um, but, but the, you know, left-handed, wiry, athletic, um, line drive hitter is kind of the, the similarities there. Um, but, you know, like you said, like, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say Brett Gardner kind of comes to mind. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> the type of build, just the type of, um, you know, not necessarily glove first because, you know, a guy like Gardner is solid on both sides. But, you know, he's going to be your upper, you know, I guess mid to upper echelon guy, hopefully. Yeah, and it was funny because <laughs> Brett Gardner was the comp for uh, about five or six guys. That, oh, yeah, was it Harold, Harold Reynolds? It was. It was. I can't remember if it was on MLB Network or ESPN because oh, I kept let's just, let's, forth, just pin, but, let's just pin it on Reynolds. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just the last thing I'll say is that it, it seemed in like you brought up just the, the makeup seems really great. Um, they they've been on him for quite a while. I, I think they said they've been uh, watching him since he was 15. Um, he, he was very well known in, in the scouting uh, field just because he, he's been on the, the USA baseball um, team for, for quite a while now as well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely confident in what the scouting team saw with him. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of goes for everyone who was drafted um, and, throughout the league, um, just kind of what the next steps for are, are for these guys. Um, it's going to be really interesting. 
um, just to kind of see how their how their their first pro seasons unfold, whether whether they they get to play in some some format in in kind of August September that that time, or, or if they're gonna uh, have to wait until next year's spring training, um, which may be pushed back anyway, um, to uh, to kind of get their careers underway. But um, yeah, so, real real solid pick with with Pete Armstrong, and I think everyone's kind of kind of happy with that. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, I, I love potential and it seems like he's got, uh, he's got enough of that to, to, to get the fan base excited. Now the, the guy the Mets took in the second round, I actually knew a little bit about him cause he was in the, uh, involved in the, uh, in the draft a couple of years ago. And, uh, he's been a hot name, JT Ginn, uh, right-hander out of Mississippi state. He was a draft eligible sophomore this year. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So just, uh, this is my basic knowledge of him. Uh, Big fastball, big slider, uh, certainly a a projectable changeup. Um, turned down two million or two million and change in 2018 to go back to college. Um, uh, that's all I read into. Uh, I would have to imagine that he just has that much confidence in, in, in himself that he said, "Oh, I don't have to be the 30th pick. I could be top 10 in a couple of years." And uh, now, if he didn't get Tommy John this March, there's probably a decent chance he would have landed in the top half of the first round, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, that 10 to 12 range is definitely possible. Um, and you know, when, when, when they announced that pick, I, uh, <laughs> I was watching on the couch with my, with my father and, uh, I, I let out a, a very audible let's go and pump my fist because, um, you know, it, it that was a very exciting name to, to hear called. And, and kind of once you got to that point, you kind of felt like, okay, if he's not gotten called yet, then uh, he probably is not going to get picked at all or, or just won't sign. Um, and it was a very similar reaction to when the Mets took Matthew Allen a year ago uh, in the third round. Uh, <laughs> I remember last year I was following the draft while listening to the, the MLB.com live stream where they're announcing the names and, and kind of just falling into the, you know, the, the Royals pick so-and-so the D-backs pick so-and-so the Mets pick Matthew Allen like wait what really that that just happened um so <laughs> it, it was it was kind of you know the same the same deal with Ginn um like you mentioned um you know probably a top top 15 maybe top 10 pick if he's healthy um and so for the Mets to feel comfortable with his medicals um and and to feel comfortable that he's going to sign and to, to get him that at 52 is huge. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting profile. Um, definitely one that that needs a lot of development. And, and again, if he was healthy and had a a full season in 2020 with Mississippi state, um, you know, he could have begun to, uh, you know, continue on that development path that he started his freshman year, which was excellent. Uh, especially in the sec is really impressive. Um, so you're going to, you're going to like this This is kind of a preview of something I have coming out at, um, on Metsmerized in the, uh, coming days this morning, I I spoke to, uh, very nice man who was the, uh, one of the, the baseball operations assistants at at Mississippi state, uh, last year with, with when Ginn was there, pitched the full season as a freshman, he was kind of in charge of their, their data stuff or one of the people tasked with, with handling their, their data. So I talked to him for, for about an hour, just getting the complete rundown of, of Gin's 
metrics and his uh, spin rates and his spin efficiencies and his, uh, you know, gyro spin and his, you know, spin axis, all that kind of stuff. Yo, um, you're, you're like, you're basically, you rap Soto stuff, stuff like that. Yeah, all of that. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of really interesting to hear uh, about about Gin's profile from that lens. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy what what I'm, I'm going to be putting out there. But um, so, you know, the, the fastball when he was coming out of high school, he was throwing 98, 99, probably touched 100. Um, that was him just airing it out like most kids do in high school because, you know, that's really all you need to to blow pitches past, past 17 and 18 year olds. Um, once he gets to Mississippi state, now he's sitting more 93, 94, 95 during his starts. Um, but his fastball has this awesome sinking action to it, sinking two seam action where it bores in on right-handed hitters. Um, and you know, you, you compare that to someone like, uh, you know, Marcus Stroman or a Bartolo Colon, just someone who, who's thrived off throwing a, a two seam fastball. Um, but the difference is Gin's able to do it, um, you know, three or four miles an hour harder than, than they, they have. So, um, fastball is really good slider as well. Uh, you know, some of the, the spin spin rate numbers are, are off the charts. Just the, the spin combined with, um, the spin efficiency and, and it, it's, kind of a with a slider the the intention is to get the spin efficiency as low as possible um and and he's he's kind of down near 25 percent and that's that's worked wonders for him it allows him to kind of throw a a, just a hard darting slider away um the guy i was talking to kind of compared it to uh like a hard 12-6 curveball in a way that that doesn't you know loop as much um so fastball and slider, they play off each other really well. Um, and that's kind of how he got through his freshman season with those two pitches because he didn't really need anything else. Um, so the changeup is just going to have to come from him using it more and, and getting a feel for it and working on it. And um, he's definitely going to need three pitches to, to be a starter in, in the major leagues and uh, perhaps even a fourth. He's fooled around with a cutter in the past. Um, so, so that would be... That would be huge for him. Um, and of course, he's uh, kind of early in the process for rehabbing from Tommy John surgery. Um, so, so depending on how he comes back from that, uh, we, we'll, we'll see what he, what he looks like a year from now. But, um, you know, number three starter, ceiling right now, uh, high leverage rel- reliever if, if he's only able to kind of perfect the, the fastball and slider. Um, but again, just, you know, incredible value for, for the Mets to pull off in the, in the second round. Oh, for sure. And I guess something that jumped out at me was the, um, he looks like he has incredible control and command only walked 19 batters in like 85 and a third innings in his freshman season in 2019. Um, you know, and if he's throwing, if he has such control over his fastball and slider and he can throw those for strikes, I, I certainly think that, um, you know, maybe back endish if he can maybe ramp up the velocity a little bit more uh back end of the bullpen you know might seem to be a a shoe in spot especially if he's not walking guys but i really like the comparison to the stroman because if he's going to mix in a cutter um you see the sinker and the cutter just work so well with each other um throw the slider in there and if he even has just a serviceable change uh it'll keep hitters on their toes and that's really half the battle and uh hopefully the mets you know 
of course, we've all heard about their new dedication to uh, analytics, to all the stuff you were talking about, kind of pinpointing um, flaws in a delivery or flaws in your biomechanics and kind of working that out and getting the most out of guys. And I think that's going to be like the way of the future, or however you want to put it. Um, yeah. And it seems like Gin has the, uh, certainly has the makeup to kind of, uh, I guess, absorb all that. looks like he was getting it in college from what you were saying. Um, and just that open-mindedness, especially with now with a, a more metrically minded organization, I think it could really play well for a lot of these young guys, especially since the, the herd is so thin with, uh, with only five rounds and you know what off topic real quick, we'll get back to the draft picks. How many free agent signings do you think we're going to see like on an average per team basis? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, probably five to six on the low end for teams, and some might, you know, go over twenty. I would say um, eight to ten is probably a sweet spot. Um, but it, it sounded like Brody Brody Van Wagenen on on the conference call last night. Even he wasn't really sure how how it's all going to play out. Like if it's going to be a free for all, you know, nine a.m. Uh, on Sunday is everything just going to uh, you know, the floodgates are going to open and, and everyone's going to scramble to sign places. Um, but it, it's interesting. It's not really a, uh, a, a type of market that, that any team has really experienced before. Oh, totally uncharted waters here. Um, yeah, it's kind of wild. And now, do you think that like teams like the Royals and the Twins are going to be more attractive to guys coming into the league, seeing how they treated their minor leaguers through all this, through all the COVID? And for anyone who didn't see it, I guess the twins and the Royals are both uh, keeping their minor leaguers on board. They're paying everybody through the end of the season. Um, I think I have that right. And I don't know if there were more teams doing that, but I know the twins and the Royals definitely stood out in my mind. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And, and um, I think it was JJ Cooper from baseball America pointed out that, uh, you know, once these guys sign, um, which should happen within the next you know week or two, um, once they sign, they're they're a minor leaguer. They're in the organization. They're under contract. Um, so that means they they get the the four hundred dollars a week, the stipend that that's being paid. Um, some teams have only committed to that through June, um, and other teams have committed to that through July and August through the end of the minor league regular season. So um, you know, teams that that have publicly said that they're going to be paying their their minor leaguers for the rest of the season um, definitely would would be more, more attractive for some guys. Um, but I, you know, I really think at the end of the day, it comes down to the relationships that, that they've made with the, the area scouts. And, um, you know, I'm sure most of the guys who are going to sign with various teams would have been picked by those teams in, you know, the twenties or the thirties, um, those, those rounds, uh, if, if we had a, a normal 40 round draft. Yeah, just kind of building those basic relationships that one does between a scout and a player as they're being evaluated. Uh, you know, hopefully, I guess those pay off in the long run. But uh, yeah, uh, very curious to see how that all plays out. Um, the Mets had a compensation round B pick for the Zach Wheeler trade. Uh, Zach Wheeler, uh, I'm sorry, signing with the Phillies. They got a uh, a pick in that. It was a 69th pick in the draft. Nice. Nice. And, <laughs> and um, they picked an outfielder. Again, you you mentioned earlier, they really need outfielders in the system. And it looks like they went with a uh, a potential five-tool guy. I mean, that's what I'm seeing. I don't know much about it. I'm just looking at stats and, you know, the speed jumps out. This is Isaiah Green, by the way. I didn't say his name, but uh, the speed certainly... Uh, jumped out at me right away. Something like a 
98 7 percentile in the 60 yard dash. Jesus. Uh, you know, good slash line at the, um, I guess he had a showcase and really just raked. Uh, I want to hear more about him. Is this guy, um, is this high value in the, uh, for a, for a mid second, third round pick? Yeah, it absolutely seems like it. Um, you know, it, some teams probably had him much higher on their boards and, and he's another guy who, if he had a full season, I'm going to keep saying that if he had a full season, um, could have been pushing up into the, into the first round. Um, has a co- commitment to uh, Missouri, so it's you know not like he's uh, committed to a, a gigantic program. Uh, but he's he's one of two prep outfielders that I kind of had circled for around this range of the draft. The other one being Chase Davis, who's committed to Arizona, wasn't picked. He'll go to campus, but um, yeah, Isaiah Green really uh, exciting, kind of the same mold as as Pico Armstrong um, in that he's super fast. Uh, strong glove, strong arm, uh, and the bat. I, I don't know if you saw any of the videos I, I reposted on Twitter, but um, kid just has a really sweet lefty swing, and, and you can tell that it's very raw. Um, and he's, you know, he looks super young, and his body is kind of, uh, you know, lanky and and uh, hasn't filled out yet. But uh, you know, when he gets everything synced up and and his body is, is filled out. Um, yeah, I, I think the Mets have certainly found uh, a great diamond in uh, in this range of the draft. Um, but yeah, just a exciting guy. And unfortunately, he's from the unfortunately named Corona High School in in uh, Corona, California. But uh, we'll we'll look past that and uh, you know welcome welcome Isaiah into the organization. That's all right. He's going to feel right at home in Corona Queens. So um, (laughs) that's going to, you know, that, that, that could be, that could work out in in the Mets favor. Um, The incomparable Chris Soto had a grid write up for him on Mets Marized and Mets Miners on Thursday night. Um, I know you were mentioning the lankiness. I kind of, that brings to mind Jason Hayward in my head, but uh, Garrett Anderson, Michael Brantley were mentioned in Soto's article. Um, you know, these are just projections, but that's exciting. That type of, uh, that type of impact player, um, could really do wonders because, you know, uh, depending on how quick he develops, how quick he ascends through the system, you know, this seems like a player we could see by, you know, the mid 2020s and, uh, that's exciting. Yeah. Or at least have an impact by the, by the mid 2020s, I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned, nothing is kind of synced up yet for him. Um, but from the videos I've seen when he, when he gets the barrel through the zone and makes contact, the ball just really jumps off his bat. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he might be a, a Gulf coast league all-star next season if they even have a, a all-star team in, in the Gulf coast league. Um, but you know, so he, so he's a long ways away, but, um, definitely very exciting. And, and kind of that's where the, the line between the, the super high upside picks and the, you know, the, the lower, the lower tier guys, the, the line is kind of drawn between green's pick and, and the next pick after that. Um, but I'd say with those three guys right there, Crow Armstrong gain and, and green, that's a, a very solid haul considering the, the circumstances of the draft and kind of the, the restrictions. And um, it was super weird just following this, this whole thing. It was, uh, five rounds were done. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'd say with, with those those three guys and potentially with the, the, uh, the later picks, they, they did an excellent job. 
Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask a little bit about those last three. I guess uh, Andrew Walters in the fourth, Matthew Dyer in the fifth, uh, catcher Matthew Dyer, who, uh, of course, I have an affinity for backstops, and um, right-hander Eric Orsi, which, uh, Eric, did I say that right? I hope I Ors. said that right. Orsi, just Ors. Okay, not Orsi. See, that's the Italian coming out in me. <laughs> um what, what should we, you know, it, what what's the uh, what's the book on these guys? Um, are the Mets just kind of do, do they go a certain direction? Are they focusing more on the top half? I know Mike Mayer um, kind of brought up that aspect um, on Friday morning. Uh, I guess they kind of focused on their 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 high end guys up at the top. Now, are these you know kind of throwaway picks, or you know, do we see value in the uh, in the Walters, Dyers, and or ors of the world? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're throwaway picks in the sense that they're signing guys who are going to be had for very little money so that they can sign the other three um, because they're going to command um, high, higher bonuses. Um, but, you know, I certainly don't think that they're zeros as, as players. Um, oh, no, yeah, it certainly wasn't, um, wasn't implying yeah, that, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, some people might just equate uh, underslot bonuses with, with, you know, lack of talent, but, um, just to start with Anthony Walters in the third round, um, he's actually also from Corona, California, uh, like Isaiah Green. Um, nice. So, oh, that's, that's an in for the signing. Yeah. So they, yeah. they worked out together, um, spent a lot of time. They actually watched the draft together. Um, to yesterday, as, as far as I'm aware, um, they're represented by the same agent. Um, so it's a connection there. I have to give a shout out to Glenn Walker, who's the second year area scout out there in Southern California. Drew Toussaint, who's uh, the West Coast cross checker, uh, who we know is the, the signing scout for both Dominic Smith and, and Jeff McNeil. Um, they, they did a good job to get these two guys. And Walters has kind of had a, you know, a lot of adversity to fight through. Um, I believe he started his career at Cal Berkeley. Um, then went to JUCO at, at Mount San Antonio College, which is not in San Antonio. I, I had to find out, find that out the hard way. Um, and he absolutely raked in JUCO, hit um, over 370, 10 home runs. Um, and he got hurt, missed all of, of 2018, 20, uh, or excuse me, to 2019, and then um, transferred to, to San Diego State. So he was back in D1, and, uh, only got into a handful of games so far. but. Um, seems just like a solid all-around uh, infielder listed as a shortstop. Could probably play second or third. Um, really interesting video that I, that I've watched on has, has a really huge leg leg kick, but he's able to stay back on, on the breaking ball and um, definitely has some pop in his bat for for kind of a smaller guy. Um, so you know they'll, they'll get him signed and, and he'll just kind of be a, a low minors guy, but but um, certainly someone who. Uh, could hit his way through through the minors and and be kind of a, a backup infielder, utility infielder kind of guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just found it interesting with the, the connection to Green and they they pop them in back to back rounds. So um, certainly always helps to have those kind of connections. Um, and then Matthew Dyer, I, you know, don't know too much about him. Played at Arizona, hit really well in 2019 uh, in the Pac-12, um, and that was a a year where the best catcher in, in that league was, uh, or in that conference was Adley Rushman who went number one overall, uh, to the Orioles. So, um, you know, Dyer was right there behind him as the top hitting catchers in the, in the conference. And, um, 
you know, they announced him as a catcher, but uh, it seems like he can play all over the field. Um, kind of a versatile guy, which uh, definitely helps his case. Um, so they'll get him signed as well. And then, and then the last guy was uh, Eric Ors from the New Orleans in the uh, in the fifth round. Um, I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard by now. The the story on him is that he's a two time cancer survivor, and um, obviously they they love his makeup and his, his fight. Um, Could have given up on on baseball after his diagnosis, but he came back and um, pitched this year for the uh, the privateers down in New Orleans in the Southland Conference, and um, was off to a really great start. had a had a great strikeout rate, um, and. There have been some videos circulating of his splitter. It's just kind of a nasty pitch that falls off the table and um, seems just kind of like a workhorse guy that, that is, you know, always good to have in the organization. I don't know if you remember last summer when, when I was covering the Brooklyn Cyclones and, and I was uh, interviewing some of the guys there and talking to a couple of the non-drafted guys, uh, two of them who were, who were teammates at Southeastern Louisiana University. Um, that's in that same conference. So it seems like the Mets are kind of doing well with, with pitchers from, from that area, kind of scouting, um, you know, guys who are not looked at as much and, but, you know, have really good work ethics and, and always good to have those, those kind of guys in your organization. Oh, for sure. And it just, it, it almost blows my mind that, you know, for since 1965, when they started the amateur draft, you know, a, a fifth round pick was a, a highly coveted spot. And now these guys are like, you know, the last round, it's just, um, it kind of, I know it's throwing me for a loop because it's like, all right, well, my brain says, oh, he's a fifth rounder. He's going to be a stud. Then I remember like, oh, well, the, the draft's only five rounds and you don't know how the, the strategy is going to change. And, um, yeah, certainly, uh, wild, wild times. Um, again, you, you hope that, uh, the Mets make, you know, they, they've drafted well in the past. There's no reason Absolutely. to think that they're not, um, they're not doing all the right things. The, the or story, that's just, that's so cool. And, uh, you know, I think that adds a certain toughness, a certain, uh, a certain psyche, a certain perspective. And, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I hope that, uh, I hope that does play up for his, uh, during his development. Um, on to, on to pressing matters. And, um, of course, you know, the, um, this story is going to keep on moving on and, and, and evolving, but, uh, MLB made a didn't well they didn't say it was a final offer but it kind of feels like a final offer. Well, they also gave a deadline and uh, <laughs> it's a Sunday Sunday deadline. But their offer consists of seventy two games, uh, 70 percent prorated salaries with eighty percent uh, increasing to eighty percent prorated salaries if the postseason is played. Um. As I said, MLB put a deadline of Sunday on this. <sighs> Jacob, do you think this is going to get it done? Do you think the players come back and they're looking for more games, a higher percentage of prorated prorated money? Um, you know, do you think deferrals are still on the table? Uh, you know, <laughs> so many question marks. Not enough time. Um, what's next? Where Where are we going from here? I have absolutely no idea. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just kind of crazy how this has been unfolding. Um, it's an awful look on, on the game uh, as we see other leagues like the NHL and the NBA um, have plans in place and whether those plans are actually come to fruition remains to be seen. But um, just the fact that they seem like they 
have their their stuff together um really you know cast uh, major league baseball in a in a poor light and um i don't know if you read the, the athletic article that that came out this afternoon um where they were kind of <laughs> diving into the language that was being used in the the uh the mlb proposal um and <laughs> it seems like they're they're getting a little feisty with each other um in terms of the literal language that's being used in, in these proposals. And, um, you know, it, it does not seem like they're close to a middle ground at all. Um, and every day that goes by is, is, is one day less uh, available to them to, to play a season. Um, and, you know, Manfred had gotten, gotten on ESPN and, and talked to Carl Ravitch on, uh, you know, the draft pre-show and, and he was asked, what percent chance do you think we have of having a baseball season? And, and Manfred said unequivocally 100%. Um, to me, that, that, that sounds less like he's confident in the deal being reached and more like, you know, he believes that he has the, the right to, to determine uh, the season length and, um, and what the salaries will be based on their, their, their March agreement. So, you know, I, I really don't see them, close on a deal at all. Um, and it's unfortunate because, you know, th this kind of talk and, and things that talking points that get spread out through the media, that's going to continue, um, up through the, the CBA negotiations next year. Um, and, and it's really kind of, uh, as a fan, it's, it's, it's not really what you want to see at all. No, it's disheartening. And, um, you know, it's kind of the new normal. Um, this is how you sway public opinion. You put it out there on Twitter through a, a talking head and and you kind of get that ball rolling. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, cutting the season down to let's say they let's say they stick to a 75 game schedule. Um, you know, that's and a lot of people have been talking about validity, at least 75 games as opposed to 50 or 48. You know, you get somewhat of a sense for the season. It's it's pretty much like playing a post All Star break season. Um, there's enough time for for teams to make a run. There's enough times for teams to break out of a, a slump or a, whatever you whatever the case might be. But um, just I guess the difference I see between like let's say something like the NBA, or the NHL. Um, they they've you know their players have played. 80, 90% of their season. There's only eight games left on the schedule for the NBA teams. And, uh, you know, cause so money's not exactly a, a, a huge deciding factor. I mean, these are ball players looking towards most of them, you know, very lucrative contracts for an entire season. And they've already, um, lost out on that. Uh, I just, how, um, how the league isn't just ponying up. And I've said this before, how they're not just going to say, Hey guys, we're going to eat this. Um, let's just get back on the field. It's it's setting a nasty, nasty precedent, especially with the CBA expiring after next season. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's disheartening. It's 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 extremely concerning. You have to wonder what's next for the game. Um, and, and you know, I might just be a little skeptical, but it kind of feels like Manfred's going to, you know, he said he, he can exercise the right to go through with a, a 48 game season and he could just give that the green light and go. Um, you know, if the players association, do they have recourse? Like, can they say, no, we're not going to agree to that. And, you know, the next logical step would be replacement players. And I hope I'm just getting ahead of myself, but, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe I'm just a little bit scarred from 1994 and, uh, 
Because, you know, that was the worst, man. We, nobody wanted to see replacement players. That would have done more damage to the game than the strike did. And if, you know, if that's on the table now, man, this is going to be a very, very rocky road for the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely see a scenario in which uh, MLB kind of exercises their might and, and the players just say no, you know, and, and for them, and, and I would completely agree with this, I would play the card of, you know, I, I, we don't feel safe. We don't feel safe playing um, in, in these conditions. Um, so, you know, there, there might kind of be a, a butting of heads there. Um, and, you know, why would, why would players take an, an additional pay cut to, to play in, in, in increasingly, I mean, as you, you've seen over the last couple of days, in some states, numbers of the coronavirus are increasing. Um, you know, why, why would they take less money to, to play in tougher conditions? It, it doesn't make sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm kind of just watching and, and waiting and, and just shaking my head at the, at the back and forth. That's, that's unfortunately playing out publicly, uh, publicly. I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of this could, could just happen, um, behind closed doors and it would probably be for the benefit of the game. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the league wants to posture, posture itself as being the good guy. Um, and you know, most, most, most fans, at least the ones that, that I know and I've talked to kind of aren't, aren't really taking that side. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's just ugly all around. It, it, it kind of feels like the owners are more concerned with the ripple effects of the decisions that they're making now, or at least the precedents that they're setting now. Um, it feels like a power grab. It feels like, a, um, it, it feels like a power move, man. It feels just like they are, look guys, we, this is what they're saying. We, 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 this is our rules where this is how it's going to happen. And, um, they're trying to take, they're trying to strong arm the players and they're, they've done it before. And the players, you know, they're the ones who have a lot to lose here. These are billionaire owners and multi-billionaire corporation in major league baseball. Um, these are players who kind of make that train move and, um, <laughs> you know, they're getting stuck out in the wind here. They're, they're, they're hard earned dollars. And, um, extraordinary skill sets are are losing a year of very, very lucrative uh, work time. And, you know, this, it breaks down like any other employee employer relationship would, you know, <laughs> this is going to, it's not going to end well. Um, there has to be some sort of compromise. And uh, I think the players have really been fair. They've been more than willing to, to discuss uh, opposite sides. And it feels like the, the league is kind of just taking such a hard stance and they took such a hard stance from the beginning with their proposed 80% cuts for the most, uh, most for the highest paid players. It's like if they're almost trying to piss the players association off. And of course that's just one person's perspective, but uh, it's, it's getting nasty. And it, like you said, the one, it shouldn't be playing out in the public forum, but two, it shouldn't be getting this nasty. Like, I've seen, you know, young couples who argue and bicker on a more mature level than this. Like this is just, it's, it's ultimately concerning because you don't know what the future is going to hold for the game. Um, You know, it took a steroid era and Cal Ripon breaking an unbreakable record to kind of pull the game back last time. Uh, Granted, the, the current game has enough talent 
pull this to pull the game back if something really catastrophic should go down. But um, very, very concerning. I, I never would have thought that I would, uh, well, one, be, you know, focusing on the NBA playoffs during baseball season. But we're about to get we're about to get ready for that. But um, just so many variables, so many questions uh, and so little time. And there's just at least on the baseball side, there's still so much to get worked out. It's, uh, you know, it's it's disconcerting. I guess that would be a decent word for it. But um, I don't know. Uh, we're, this is going to be breaking, you know, I guess with the Sunday deadline, I'm sure we're going to be back on on Monday with a, you know, a new a new spin on things. And hopefully we'll have a, be a little bit closer to an agreement. But last thing I want to touch on, Jacob, Jeff Wilpon spoke uh, at some sort of function on Thursday night regarding the Mets potential. Yeah, what, what 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 functions are going on right now in, in the, the, you know, I'm just kind of curious when, when that news broke, like what, where are people gathering? <laughs> I have no idea. I caught it in passing. I was I was trying to focus on the draft. I was going on my buddy James's podcast. Uh, this is Believe Land, by the way. It's a Cleveland-based podcast. Lots of fun, but uh, shameless plug aside. <laughs> um, yeah, I I didn't really know what to uh, what to make of it. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, didn't really give any insight to to where they are in the in the negotiation process um i mean not i can read the the quote here that, that was put out by Iran weitzman um jeff wilpon said the team will have some kind of transaction we can't tell you exactly what it's going to be and how it's going to look but we're working towards a transaction and there's four or five suitors that are out there to do something with there's a bunch of philanthropic planning and family planning that my dad and my uncle want to do, and it's totally fine. And when oh, we have some, <laughs> it's totally fine. That's how you know nothing's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, everything's fine. Cue the fire in the background. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when and when we have something to truly announce and tell you about, we'll do that. Not going to play the speculation game or get in any kind of competition with Page Six or Variety magazine. End quote. I can't um, believe you left Simply yeah. Amazing. I can't believe you left Simply Amazing out of that. Yeah, it's page six been, variety. Simply Amazing. Come on, should have, we'll, should have been we'll, in the same breath. Well, Jeff, you know we're we're going to speculate. Um, so let's say they have four suitors. That's going to be your Harrison Blitzer and A Rod and J Lo. Is that is that your four? Do you think we have mysteries? I'm sure there's there's a mystery suitor. Um, yeah, I would have no way of. No, no, this is all speculation, of course, but yeah, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to expose you to freezing cold takes, but I hope no one does it to me. But, <laughs> um, I, I mean, would, I'll, I would I'll, love to see Steve Cohen jump back in. I, right? was, I was, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like he was the one who, who was most down to just like, let's just do business and get this over with. And then it was the Will Ponds who, um, got cold feet and, and pulled out of that deal. Um, but I mean, I just, as a, as a baseball fan who grew up in the mid two thousands, uh, I mean, just having a rod on your team sounds so cool. Um, just, <laughs> just what, what might come out of that and then what, um, what the organization would look like under, under him. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's, there's some part of him that, sees Derek Jeter running a team and, and, and wants to, to do the same. Um, but you know, kind of how it works out with the financials um, kind of re- remains to be seen. And then, 
Um, yeah, the, the, the Harrison Blitzer group, um, you know, just sounds very interesting. Seems like they've done very well with uh, the 76ers and Devils. And, and I mean, to own three sports teams, I mean, that, that's really the dream, doesn't it? Oh, of course. And, um, you know, I guess there are conflicting, <sighs> conflicting perceptions on the Harris Blitzer group. Um, you know, investment wise, they've done fantastic. Uh, I think they bought the Sixers at something like 287 million and now it's a 2 billion plus valuation on them. Uh, the devils have almost doubled in value since they purchased in 2013. Um, but I guess, you know, some people have taken exception with how they run their ball clubs. I guess the, the prolonged, uh, or elongated, uh, I guess, trust the process process in Philly. Why, uh, you know, they might've even missed their window with that. You know, they had such talent, uh, a couple of correct moves, spend a little more money and maybe they would have, but, uh, you know, some people say that maybe they cashed in on the hype and, um, you know, from a business standpoint, that's one thing, but, Ooh, I don't think that Mets fans, that would go, that wouldn't go over too well with us. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can employ the same strategy that, that the Sixers did in, in baseball, just you know, considering the, the nature of prospects, but, um, Oh, of course, you know, I mean, if, trust if, the process. If, we could certainly use the, use the, uh, the lingo though. Absolutely. Uh, trust the process. LFGM sound rolls off the tongue. It really does. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, if, if they have the money, then, then I'm, I'm interested in, in what they're, <laughs> yes. in what they're, they're bringing to the table. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're just going to have to see, and you know, I, I don't see anything getting done in this environment, in this current state of, of things. Um, I mean, how crazy would it have been if they, Closed a, a deal with, with Steve Cohen before this all broke, um, but yeah, you know Cohen was paying out the nose two point six billion for the team for eighty percent of the team without SNY. Now with SNY, I guess they're valued at like two point five billion, and that was a few months ago. That's from Forbes. So you know, goodness knows how much they're worth now. But um, I don't even you know in my mind, I would like to think that Steve Cohen wouldn't even care. He just, guys, just take the money. Just give me the team and go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it didn't work out that way. We, we hope it does. I'm hoping that Steve Cohen comes in and takes A-Rod and J-Lo under his wing and says, guys, let's do this. Because one, like you said, the whole A-Rod Jeter rivalry, you know, A-Rod's going to want to upstage him. Um, neither of them, I, I think, you know, being in the public eye so much, I don't, I couldn't see either of them being... <laughs> complacent with fielding a mediocre team. Um, they would want something successful to be attached to. Uh, one would hope. Um, I'm kind of more intrigued by the, if they can get the financial backing, the A-Rod J-Lo group. I really am. Yeah. I mean, if kind of, they would have some, or, you know, A-Rod just given his background, I'm sure. Yeah. A little extra we need that. Yeah, And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure he would, want some involvement in, in baseball operations. And, um, you know, I think it would kind of bring a, a little, you know, how you're watching Knicks games and they, they show the celebrity row and you see the celebrities sitting, sitting courtside and there's kind of a little more of a, an aura to it. Yeah. I, I think that that kind of bringing two huge personalities like, like A-Rod and, and, and J-Lo kind of would bring some of that, you know, New York edge that, that maybe the Yankees have that, that the Mets have been striving for kind of brings that to, to this organization. 
Yeah, I've been waiting since 1996 to see Jay Z in the stands at Shea or, or City Field, and it never happens. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, A Rod will bring those days. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, any, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to badmouth the uh, the current ownership group more than we already do, but, um, you know, any any, any change we think would be a positive right now, you know, and, and yeah, and that's not to say that the Wilpons and the Katzes don't love the Mets because clearly they they love this team. They wouldn't have invested so much if they didn't, but um, and lost so much allegedly, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's just it's run its course. Um, I think everyone's ready for a, a split, and uh, quite frankly, if the team if the reports are correct that the team can't pay their bills um they they might be forced to sell the team so if it goes from a, a want to sell to a need to sell uh your leg of leverage excuse me your leg of leverage is getting kicked out from underneath you so uh you know i'm holding out hope that we see a quick process and uh just change any change is positive change absolutely <laughs> all right jacob uh what do you got coming out this week man I'm hoping to get some some more info on JT Ginn and, and get that out. And you know, it seems like we're just going to be continuing to analyze these draft picks that we you know talked about today. Um, you know, we got a a big team over at MN, MMN uh, working hard trying to find info on these guys. And um, you know, <laughs> given that there's nothing else to talk about from a a, a playing standpoint. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of going to go all in on, uh, on the draft stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was just so nice to watch. Like, I know it wasn't even live sports, but it was live TV associated with actual stuff. That, it was so nice. Oh, oh man. Cool. Well, I, and I didn't know any of these guys. Again, I, I just never really got into, uh, uh, you know, I guess the high school players like that. And, you know, learning about them as they're popping through, kind of trying to trying to focus and, and search on them. Uh, very tough to find some high school stats, but the college guys, man, like, you know, you're curious to see how it's going to, how they're going to, uh, their games are going to adapt and adjust to the, to the professional level. But yeah, it should be, it should be exciting. But um, yeah, the folks at MMN, of course, you, you folks are all great. Uh, mesmerized guys. I think we're going to still have a couple of series popping up. Your your mesmerizing moves, your amazing mistakes. Uh, I believe MMO Crossfire, where we uh, we debate certain topics. I believe that's going to have a couple of new uh, installments this week. Uh, myself and Brian Wright, we're doing the 2000 Mets 20th anniversary series. So we have no actual baseball, but we are recapping the 2000 series on a week by week basis. Uh, been going really in depth. Brian Wright's been doing a fantastic job. He's uh, the author of two books. The most recent one is uh, all time. Oh, I wish I had the correct. Hold on, Andrew, you don't even got to edit this out. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up right now. I believe it's all time Mets, but that can't be the whole the whole title there. And I wouldn't want to shortchange Brian, Brian, right. But yeah, if you guys want to check out that 2000 Mets, uh, uh, series, that's really been going well. Um, we did have, uh, uh, Dennis cook and Glendon rush from that team on the podcast recently. If you guys want to go back and check that out, but, uh, yeah, if you just look up Brian, Wright on Twitter, he has the link right on his page. I apologize, Brian. I, uh, the girls must've, they're they're on all their devices and I my phone's not moving. But uh guys, Jacob again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh everybody, you know where to find us. And uh we'll see you next time. Let's hope we have some actual uh baseball on the horizon. Yeah!